This is the Heal from Trauma-Bonded Relationships with me, Dr. Sarah, empowering you to heal from painful relationships to rediscover your self-worth and confidence because you are ready to be the best version of yourself. Hello and welcome to everybody joining me. So today I'm going to be talking about the loss of self and specifically why it happens and how it happens when we enter toxic relationships or a trauma-bonded relationship. First off, I need to just mention not every single person out there enters a toxic relationship. A lot of us do, but not every single person enters it and maintains it, remains in it, entertains it. And the reason for that is because actually there's something within us that makes us more susceptible and more vulnerable to entering relationship, even though we might see red flags, but also remaining in a toxic relationship, even if it's hurtful for us, because we're in this mental, emotional dilemma inside of us. And something really to talk about here is uh, a few different things in terms of why it is that we lose ourselves. The first thing to note is that people who enter trauma-bonded relationships or toxic relationships at the very origin tend to have an insecure attachment style. And I'm going to put my neck out and say I would argue 100% of people who enter trauma-bonded relationships are either anxiously attached, avoidantly attached, or their disorganized attachment style. So they are rarely ever securely attached because the people who are securely attached they may see they see the red flags in fact it's not that they might see them they do see them they acknowledge the red flags and they just walk away clean slate no guilt no shame and that's okay that because their sense of self and their sense of strength and resilience is so solid that these toxic relationships don't shake them and actually it's not something that it's not a game that they want to play Okay, so if we were to really stem to the origin of why is it that we lose ourselves, it's almost there's a circular situation that happens here between the loss of self and toxic relationships. So often when we don't know who we are, when we're feeling quite fragile in ourselves originally anyway, we're more likely to enter trauma bonded relationships and we're more likely to do that because we are hoping that the other person will be able to rescue us the other person gives us some form of identity the other person bombards us with so much love so much attention so much affection at the very start of the relationship that we think oh my goodness this is amazing this is what i want this is who i want to be with this is absolutely perfect this is ideal and everything seems to be going right to begin with and so you get really absorbed in that dynamic And it makes sense because having that amount of love, particularly when you've been deprived it for so long or you've experienced rejection, you've experienced criticism, neglect, abandonment before, why wouldn't you want to have that level of love and that level of attention? Of course you would, right? And so it's not to blame you at all for for wanting that, but things is that we end up latching onto that. We latch onto the relationship and the individual and the potential of who the individual could be and the potential of the relationship of what it could flourish into. We latch onto that so much that it then reinforces the fact that we've lost ourselves 
because our self becomes so attached to the relationship, our identity becomes attached to the relationship and to the individual. And so we move further and further away from who it is that we were originally. So I've made some notes here and I'm going to talk us really through the various different things that happen as we lose ourselves within toxic relationships or trauma bonded relationships. First thing is, let's stem way back into how this all started off. And like I mentioned before, I'm putting my neck out there and I would say 100% of people who enter toxic or trauma-bonded relationships have got an insecure attachment style. More often than not, people have got an anxious attachment style. So I'm going to focus in on that. But like I said, it could either be avoidant or it could be disorganized. And depending on what attachment style, you might be responding slightly differently. But simply for this talk today, I'm going to be focusing in on anxiously attached individuals. So these tend to be people who have grown up in a household whereby they received love, they received affection, they got some level of attention, but it wasn't consistent. And so it might have looked a little bit like this. They may have been really, really praised if they were a good girl or a good boy, if they did really well in school and they got straight A's, or if they were really kind to somebody and they really helped other people out. And, you know, they get a lot of praise and attention for that. But the moment that they stop doing that, then they kind of get criticized. Or if they get a B, they really feel that sense of disappointment from their parents or caregivers, the the adults around them. If they are not necessarily being super helpful, if they have a bit of a tantrum, if they kick off, if they're pushing boundaries, which by the way is normal for any child, then they get criticized, they get judged, or they might have experienced some absence from their parents. So their parent may have been ill, away in hospital, their parent may have been working a lot. And so either way, they end up feeling neglected or they feel like they're not really that important compared to their parents' job or their career. So there's kind of this inconsistency and there's these mixed messages. So on one hand, I know I can be loved because I've witnessed love before, but then on the other hand, I've also experienced criticism, I've also experienced rejection or neglect. And so I I know love is possible, but it feels like I can only be loved if I meet these certain conditions. So if I am that good person, if I am super helpful, if I do X, Y, and Z. And so what happens is that even though this might have stemmed from childhood, it takes us all the way throughout adolescence, throughout early adulthood, older adulthood, it it goes across the board, the lifespan. So how this might look is, let's say you're a a teenager and so you believe I can only be loved, I can only be liked by my peers if I am popular, if I look a particular way, if I dress a particular way, if I act a particular way. And so you go into adulthood and then you think, okay, so people will only like me if I work really hard, if I show that I'm really good at my job, if I am intelligent, if I am attractive, if I have the house, if I have the car, if I have the money, if I have the whatever it is, the clothes, the appearance, the, you know, the list just goes on and on. And so ultimately the theme around all of this is I will be liked or I will be accepted if X, Y, and Z if I have these things, if I am these things, if I act in these particular ways. And so the love and the condition, uh, the love and the acceptance feels very conditional upon having these things or doing these things, acting in these particular ways. 
And so this is already a vulnerability and a wound that you may have that stems way back from childhood. And so when you enter adulthood relationships, and by the way, I'm talking about, I'm not just exclusively talking about romantic relationships, but this could even be friendships, it could be with peers, co-workers, uh, family relationships, it could even be acquaintances, so, so any contact with people really, but it tends to be kind of more dominating relationships. What usually happens is that these insecurities and these anxieties that pre-exist will play out in these adulthood relationships. And so I then end up finding myself getting attracted to these people who literally mirror the things that I am most anxious about, the, the thing that I'm most worried about. And the reason why this happens is really down to a couple of things. So it's a subconscious phenomenon whereby whatever it is that we subconsciously expect, we end up attracting. So for example, if I expect I will only be loved if I look a particular way, if I'm a perfect size 10, or if I um, have this amount of money in my bank account, if, if this is what I'm expecting, otherwise I'll be rejected. I end up attracting people who literally mirror that and play into that. And so I mirror people who will only like me if I look that particular way and if I gain a bit of weight or if I lose a particular, if I look a particular way that's different, then all of a sudden they reject me or, or they might criticize me or I might feel unattractive to them and something plays out. Or let's say if I feel like, okay, well, I only, I need this number in my bank account for other people to like me, then I end up showing off in little and subtle ways. And I might not even think I'm showing off, but it kind of comes out. So it might be that I always offer to pay for dinner or I offer to loan people money, even though I might actually be a bit short myself, or I might be doing all of these things. And, and ultimately it just attracts people into my pre-existing wounds and pre-existing anxieties. And that's simply because the subconscious mind acts out 95% of the time. And so it just absorbs and it attracts and it pulls in people who mirror our pre-existing wounds and anxieties. So this is one thing. The second thing is, is that we end up having these uh, neural pathways, these neural networks that develop inside of our brain that literally map out this process. What that looks like is if you imagine a map, right? And so the brain's number one job is for survival. It doesn't care about your happiness. It doesn't really care very much about what you want. The, the number one target is survival. And so through survival, it also calculates, okay, what is it that I need to do in order to maintain survival, in order to protect myself, in order to make sure that everything goes to plan? And so what it would do is that it would program, well, who I am, just as I am, is at risk of rejection. P.S. Survival means physical survival and emotional survival. So rejection is something that your brain really wants to work away from. And so you're constantly wanting to work towards being accepted. You're wanting to work towards having that admiration again, having that acceptance, that validation again. But what you also learn is that who I am is unacceptable. Who I am is flawed. Who I am risks rejection. And so obviously you're not wanting to be rejected. You're wanting 
full acceptance. So if you think about the neural pathway in terms of how that develops, well, the neural pathway ultimately says who I am, I need to escape from this individual because this individual is risk at rejection. This risk, uh, there's a huge risk of rejection for this individual. And so I need to work harder and harder and harder to meet all of these conditions, to meet the standards, the conditions that other people have for me for what it is that I feel like I'll be accepted for because I cannot be accepted just the way that I am. I can only be accepted if I do X, Y, and Z. And so it even gets mapped out neurologically in the sense that we fear even exploring who we are and we work so, so hard to become something different. And so it almost feels like we end up on this hamster wheel and we are constantly running. We're running, we're running, we're running, both subconsciously and neurologically. And we're running so, so much that we are trying to escape from who it is that we used to be, our origin, believing that our origin is somehow flawed, um, that it's at risk of rejection, that it's bad, that it's this, that it's that, 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 that there's something wrong with it ultimately. And so we work really, really hard to avoid this, that's at risk of criticism and rejection and abandonment. And we work really hard towards the idealized goal, the the promised land, the thing that we imagined that we hoped would be giving us so much love, so much attention, so much affection. And so when you're entering this trauma bonded relationship and they've shown you so much love, they've shown you so much affection and attention, you think, wow, this person really values me. This person really wants to be with me. This person loves me unconditionally just the way that I am. But as time goes on and the criticisms start emerging and the manipulation starts emerging and the control starts coming up, these all play into our already pre-existing anxieties. So we don't reject them because we actually believe them to be true anyway. They already play into our subconscious mind. They already tap into our pre-existing neural pathways that are wired for threat, for detecting threat within a relationship. And how it is that you respond to threat, i.e. escaping the criticism and working towards what that person wants from you. And so if this is the case, then what do you end up doing? Well, you have no other option but to lose yourself. That's kind of, that's the only natural pathway that we can go down is the loss of self. And the reason for this is because we are progressively working harder and harder and harder away from the self, working towards this idealized, perfect, image of what we may think that other people want from us but actually that image is false in itself because the goalpost always moves the thing is is that if you believe that my worth I will only be loved if I look a particular way well guess what there's going to be somebody else who you would argue looks better than you. Or if you believe I'm only going to be loved if I have this amount of money in my bank account, well, guess what? There's always going to be somebody else who has more money than you. And so the the goalpost constantly moves. And so if you're on this hamster wheel, you're literally on this hamster wheel running, trying to escape potential criticism, trying to escape potential judgment or neglect or abandonment because 
who you are just as you are without doing anything is at risk of rejection. And by the way, this is mapped out already in your neural pathways in your subconscious mind, stemming all the way back from childhood. And you're constantly on this hamster wheel working towards being accepted, being loved, being praised, being wanted by someone else. And so if you're in this dilemma, you're really in this muddy territory of of trying to run away from something and trying to run towards something. But neither end is really you. And so when you're losing yourself, you are really, really at a loss of yourself. You start actually abandoning yourself because you believe that the self, your original self, is flawed. Your original self, there was something wrong with it and and it shouldn't exist. It has no point of existing. It should not be here. And actually, it would hinder you if it did exist. And so... When people come to me, and even though things may look great on paper, that they've got the job, they've got the career, they've got the house, they've got the money, they've got the car, they've got the clothes, they've got all of these different things, but actually they feel broken inside. They feel lost inside. They don't know who they are anymore. All of this is really down to this constant hamster wheel, this constant chase, chase of the goalpost that is always moving. And so what do we do here? Well, the reality is that we really need to start tuning into ourselves and we really start needing to recognize what is going on here. And it's really around working with the self, the subconscious, really reprogramming historical subconscious minds but also really rewiring the neural pathways because we we need to start getting down to the core and I hear a lot of talk around you should love yourself more or you should accept yourself or you should just do what you feel and as much as this might sound good to to some degree it's quite surface level advice, if I'm being totally honest. And the reason why it's surface level is because actually you could constantly be trying to self-love, but if it doesn't land for you, if it's not truly integrated within your soul, within your subconscious mind, within your very being, within your neural networks, within your genetic coding, within your DNA, it's really hard to do. And so you might self-love temporarily but then somehow you just end up back at square one constantly chasing constantly losing yourself and forgetting about yourself because you're trying to work towards this idealized goal and so you're you're always perpetuating this hamster wheel so what i would really recommend for people who are in this space is really going in depth and I wouldn't have time to do that with everybody on this talk um, or, or on, on a particular recording, but it's really about digging in deep in terms of who you are at the origin. And it's really going back to who that young child was, who that child was and what parts of them were rejected. Because it's not simply about loving that child, but it's also about loving the parts that were rejected, the parts that were not good enough, the parts that were seen as inadequate. And it's about creating safety for these parts. And it's really digging back into the deep subconscious mind. So for example, a lot of the work that I do goes 
all the way back to when you're two, when you're one, sometimes even in vitro. And that might sound a little bit bizarre hearing it, but it, but when you start doing work at that in-depth level, then, and, and you start reprogramming that young child, that infant, that fetus even, as you're growing older, as you're coming out into this world, you actually start reprogramming the relationship and the attachment that you have with yourself. And so you start recognizing, hey, you know what? It's actually safe for me to just be. That's okay. I cannot be rejected because my very existence means that I can't be rejected. And so it, it, it's getting to that state when you are at one with the universe and, and something that's much greater than you, but also it means that fundamentally you can never be rejected the way that you are or for who you are. And so all of a sudden you're not needing to run on this hamster wheel, escaping the potential risk of criticism or rejection or trying to run towards this idealized land of acceptance, which by the way, the goalpost always moves. And so you never ever feel accepted anyway to begin with. Um, but, but it's really about stepping off that hamster wheel and being in existence just as you are as yourself. And it's really going down to the core and rewiring every single part of you so that naturally your actions reflect that. And so it's not just about surface level behavioral changes, but it's really about in-depth emotional, cognitive, which is the thought process. It's about subconscious programming. It's about somatic programming. It's about the neurological system programming because all of these levels will impact your very being. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do me two favors. Hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and rate this podcast so that other people can find support and life-changing information. Until next time, take care.